0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host Fritz Bussemaker and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Marielza Oliveira of UNESCO. Marielza, welcome to the program.
1: Wow, well, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm really excited to having this conversation.
0: Let me if, briefly introduce you to the audience, to the listeners, you are currently the Director of the Division for Digital Inclusion Policies and Information with UNESCO in Paris. Before that, uh, Director of UNESCO in Beijing. Before that, another UN agency UNDP. You also have a background with uh, you could say, the US Army Construction Engineering Research. You have an AI background, Master of Science and Finance. And a PhD in business administration. So, a lot of, uh, you could say, great baggage of knowledge and experience. And you are a native from Brazil, correct?
1: Correct, indeed.
0: Hey, let me, fur- uh, oh, and by the way, um, given your current responsibility, UNESCO, uh, the common theme for a discussion is going to be information as a public good. Fantastic. Before we go to have that conversation, I just wanted to know. Um, how does one uh, become an employee of UNESCO uh, or of a UN agency? How did your journey start?
1: Oh my God! You know, I I will have to say that I literally was kidnapped by aliens. You know, <laughs> when I joined the UN, you know, it it wasn't something that I expected to do. You know, huh? I started. Um, you know. Uh, uh, getting my masters in finance and PhD in business, thinking that I would go back to Brazil and work as a consultant, and in fact, that's exactly what I did when I, as soon as I finished my my uh, uh, my degrees, um, and at that time, uh, I had actually um, a neighbor that were that worked for the UN uh, in Brazil, and uh, came to me and said, you know, I, I'd like to do a a a fundraising uh, uh, project because I have a this this important project and I would like to have a, a strategy for that. Can you you know uh, uh, indicate some of your colleagues to do some consulting for me? And I told them like I'm I'm sorry to say, my colleagues charge about five times what you the maximum you are able to pay, uh, and that's my junior people. <laughs> like so, um, I can't you know it's. So- indicate anybody but i can do pro bono for you you know i'll be happy to do something you're a friend and so i did this this project uh, you know on a literally on a weekend for him okay. and you know a few months later i get a phone call you know, this guy uh, saying, I'm the res rep uh, of uh, UNDP in Brazil and I would like to, you know, to tell you that we have some vacancies and would like to apply. And in my mind, i would never heard that term res rep before, because it means resident representative of a United Nations entity, you know, so it's the maximum title. It was the boss. You know, okay. but I but in my mind I thought sales rep. And I just said, thank you very much and hang up on the guy, you know, like I'm not interested in hanging gap and then you know my friend called and oh my god you know are you crazy you know this is the lead of the UN in Brazil he talks to the president to ministers I wanted him to you know he called you personally and I was like oh my god <laughs> so what do I do to clean up your area for you and uh, call him back and apologize and uh, you know and uh, and that I did and then we talked and I sent my CV and um, in the end, you know, uh, uh, I ended up uh, interviewing with, uh, with uh, the UN. And at the time, I wasn't thinking of joining the UN at all. I was happy where I was, you know. Um, and um, so, um, you know, I... I, I I told them, I'm not the right person for you. I am really not the right person in my interview process, you know, and you know, I would have changed everything about uh, government and uh, supporting governments and et cetera. And, uh, uh, and uh, about a month later, I get a, a job offer from them. And I called back and I said, you know, I told you I'm not the right person. And they told me back. you know, and they said, you're wrong, you are the exact person we need. Because we exactly thinking out of the box and, uh, you know, looking at things from a different perspective. And uh, and we have a lot of different financial processes coming up that uh, we would like to support governments with so that they can do better taxes, they can do uh, better uh, uh, oversight of, uh, of capital markets and things. So you, you do have the profile, so come over. And I said, okay, I'll stay for two years and kidnapped by aliens. I'm here 22 years later, loving every minute of it and uh, never thinking of going back.
0: Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, that was a very productive weekend. Don't know what was in your report and your advice to your next door neighbor, but (laughs) it paid off, I would say.
1: Oh my God! Yes, as a matter of fact, it did. You know, uh, not in not in financial terms. Let's put it this way: the private sector always, you know, pays, you know, a lot more, but in satisfaction, in in really real satisfaction, in making a contribution. You know, in 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 changing things. Yeah. My my my, my uh, background, you know, it starts in economics. You know, I'm a bachelor's in economics, and you learn about uh, um, these issues of uh, of uh, you know of uh, uh, the value for money, the the issues of uh, of uh, making sure that you look at the at the at the economic side of things. But uh, but really, you know, the fact is that uh, when you love what you do, you know, when you really find the place where you are, you 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 say this is where I'm meant to be, this is what I'm meant to do, this is how I can best contribute. It's really not something about, you know, it's not it's not about, you know, making money. It's about, you know, making a life that is worth living, you know,
0: making a difference, contributing, being relevant. That's what exactly. I hear you say.
1: Exactly. You know, and I found my niche, you know, so I was incredibly happy and grateful, you know, for the right. opportunity that would, I would never have sought myself. You know,
0: OK, now we have uh, quite a number of uh, say younger listeners. Um, Could you make a statement? This is a, a, a conclusion you can draw in hindsight. It's not about the money, it's about the fulfillment. Or can you remember that was also your mindset those 22 years ago?
1: It was it was very much my mindset at the time, you know, and and I think that people should, you know, uh, if I if I were to give advice, you know, to myself to, you know, 22 years ago or to people who are in the same place right now, I would say, you know, don't look at so much at uh, how much, you know, the the profession or the role or whatever will pay you. Mm -hmm. Think of the value that you want to create in this world and the world will recompense you for creating that value. Sometimes it will recompense you monetarily. Sometimes it will recompense you with the kind of, uh, you know, of of a satisfaction, of a tranquility of of soul, you know, that you rest and say, you know, at the end of the day and think, really, you know, that was a fantastic day. And, you know, if if you really wake up on a Monday and and, uh, you dread, your week, you should be looking for a different place to you know to be if you oh. if you look at the at mondays and go like yay it's monday you know wow you know here you go you know
0: or then, even better why wait till monday and do it oh on why
1: wait till monday you know but if you're really you know waking up and and thinking yes you know uh today is a good day you know like i'm i'm uh, doing, geared geared up to go you know and uh that's that's the kind of uh, of life you want, you
0: know. Uh, I recognize that. I recognize that with a large number of people we speak for the brand called you. Uh, although I also have to point out, I mean, you have invested quite a lot in yourself to get there. In a sense, uh, in executive education, master of fine, uh, science and finance, a PhD. So you had to put in a lot of sweat and hard effort and work to get there probably uh otherwise your neighbor would not recognize you as somebody who could help him
1: well that's true you know uh, uh, you have to stick out the knowledge that you that you that will help you to think through uh and uh, and um you know really organize your your um approach in a way that is productive you know and uh, and, and people think, you know, but a business degree at the U.N., you know, a capital market finance at the U.N., you know, it's that's exactly what makes me very different from other U.N. staff. You know, they usually tend to be, um, you know, uh, uh, international relations people, development, uh, you know, uh, uh, economic development or social development staff and etc. But I have this unique set of skills. And the thing of having a unique set of skills you need to invest in them so that they really you know shine but you also need to find you know how do you apply that kind of skill set to where you are you know because they, they it, this kind of skill set can be applied anywhere in the private sector in uh, in in civil society in government and you know and i actually did it you know i i worked in all these different uh, you know uh, uh, sectors uh, and um you know in each and every one of them i found exactly the kind of thing that says, yes, this skill set is incredibly tailored for this. But it's because you need to deeply know, you know, uh, what you're talking about, so that you can really find that kernel of value of gold, the right there to apply it.
0: Great. Um, Now, you're applying all that knowledge and experience for UNESCO. Now, most people would uh, associate UNESCO with the World Heritage uh, sites, I mean, uh, fully acceptable, that's where it's famous for, but you are the direction of the division Digital Inclusion Policies and Information. Um, what does that side of UNESCO do, and how do, do we as society become aware of what UNESCO is trying to aim for?
1: Well, um, you know, the kind of the blurb that uh, we 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 talk to partners about is to say this is the area that that uh, that uh, looks at uh, at uh, defending human rights in the digital era. Uh, you know, freedom of expression, access to information, digital transformation, deep privacy. You know, uh, um, those are things that uh, have been changing so much mm-hmm. because we live online as much as we live offline you know think about how you contact your friends you know how you you know you work with them the fact that we are having a meeting on zoom right now and uh, you know uh, thousands of people will be looking at it and uh, and participating in this kind of conversation that uh, you work online you learn online you know it's uh, so yeah I mean but those things have give us incredible opportunities. You can engage with anybody, anywhere, but also gives an incredible risk. Your data ends up in places you don't know, and you end up being explored you know, and exploited. Um, that inf- personal information about you uh, gets exploited, that you're surveyed against your will, uh, that uh, uh, that, uh, you know, you end up exposed uh, to cyber crime and, uh, and uh, cyber bullying and uh, hate speech and misinformation and those things. So somebody has to be looking at how do we address those risks? How do we make the best yeah. out of our digital environment? And this is what our team does. You know?
0: Okay, that is quite a steep challenge, given the fact that we have a global, I would say... Um, Digital transition taking place, so yeah. there is. I mean, each and every citizen organization is touched by the digital transition. So, um, so how, how big? I mean, th- 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 this seems like you need thousands and ten thousands of people to think about. Okay, how are we going to um, organize governance? How are we going to keep it safe?
1: well it does it needs yeah. you know all of us as a matter of fact uh, and uh, but it needs us to you know at unesco ci sector or the communications and information sector um, what our team does is engage networks and uh, you know, and uh, give them the tools so that they can go ahead and and support yeah. in, in their own local circumstances uh, these processes to happen. Um, so, for example, you know we have uh, you, you talk about the digital transition, we call it the digital transformation. This is an incredibly important topic. You know, you're, you're learning online, you have your health, just access to justice online. You know, uh, your payment schedules online, everything. So. Who thinks through these processes? Um, you know, usually this is done by, you know, like a ministry of education or a ministry of finance or, you know, uh, and who helps them think through these processes? So um, what kind of guidance do they have? Yeah. Um, just an example, you know, uh, um, for, we have uh, um, a pro, uh, last year we launched a, a training for judges, for what we call judicial actors. Uh, Judges, Supreme Court judges uh, and uh, judges from high courts, uh, public prosecutors and so on to explain to them all the concepts behind artificial intelligence, digital transformation and the rule of law. You know, because they actually have to decide on cases, to make decisions, to make judgments on cases that have to do with artificial intelligence you know, because if uh, somebody gets sued because their data was scraped or, you know, and, and so on. Um, but also, they actually want to use artificial intelligence to improve how the way justice is delivered in their environments. But they don't know, you know, they are not trained on that. They are legal experts. So, you know, how do they, under? you know, what can be done to help them understand how the legal concepts and the technological concepts come together so to to show us opportunities and risks and how do they you know what are the peer networks that they can tap in to learn from each other so that's the thing we we formed for example and it was incredibly effective we trained you know 4500 judges on the first uh, cohort 140 countries and they now are talking to each other and learning because they are in the process of Doing exactly that. So whenever they have, you know, like a question, who do they ask to? They go into the network and say, "Have you guys seen this? This, this happened before. How do you deal with that in your own jurisdiction?" And so on. So that helps create this movement, and uh, and that's the kind of thing that we do. You know, like- okay.
0: So it's what I hear you say. It's not lead to. i would say leading the, the the movement, but facilitating the movement, guiding the movement. Uh, to make it happen,
1: exactly. You yeah. know, uh, because you know it's the co-creation process that is really the meaningful one. We we're not we we're not knowledgeable about everything, yeah. and our team is is small. You know, uh, you know as compared to the eight billion people in the world that actually have to, <laughs> you know, to benefit from from this uh, uh, from from what we do. You know, so uh, um, the idea is to actually say, you know, let's empower you. You know your institution, your your government, your you know your uh, civil society organization, yourself as an individual and a professional, so that you can contribute to this process from your expertise. Because everybody is an expert on something, you know, uh, you know, uh, and have learned how to do it, uh, and can come from that that knowledge base to to help society
0: what make what what i think of when i um when you describe your work uh makes me the i, I think about how do you find define then success how do you uh at the end of the day they judge okay now we've done something um uh, worthwhile meaningful how does it look like
1: uh, it looks like um you know what it looks like is is when uh, there's the anecdotal part you know and then there's the statistical part you know, let's put it this way. Yeah. Uh, the statistical part. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, uh, about uh, you know a few years ago, we had about you know 60 countries only that had information laws, meaning that they had legal frameworks, you know, uh, laws that protect and in and in, and, in, and enable people. Uh, people's rights to request information from their governments It's the uh, the foyer, you know, in in the U.S. For example, the Freedom of Information Act, uh, you know, that uh, people can actually ask the government and receive that kind of information. Um, now we have 140 some, you know, countries having that, yes. you know. So you see the you know the statistical progress of the number of in terms of number of countries that actually adopted and enacted law. That, uh, that enables their citizens to really question their governments and that's you know a, a, an essential part of democracy, an essential part of citizen control and so on. And um, so that's you know the kind of thing. but then there's the also the the kind of anecdotal side, which you know speaks to our hearts some you know sometimes somebody, writes to you and say, you know really you know I never knew this but then you know using the laws that exist in my country now thanks to you know the the work that you guys done, we were able to obtain this kind of information and solve a, a, an issue that uh, that was about us you know so um, that that is this is fantastic you know it's yeah. really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh when a judge comes to you and say, wow, you know um, really I'm using the knowledge that you gave me, and this is the kind of case that I used it on, and that case affects eight hundred thousand people in my country, and you go, "Wow, you know, this is fantastic." Um, uh,
0: so uh, I now see the whole value of storytelling, of that anecdotal approach, uh, providing inspiration. Um, I was just wondering where do you draw your inspiration from yourself?
1: Well, I'm a I'm a nerd. I'm a, I I mean I love statistics. You yeah. know, statistics to me. You know, and and that's you know I'm a data scientist kind of thing. You know, I love numbers. Um, but but I am very aware that the word number starts with num. You know, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that uh, you know when you you start spouting statistics and uh, people don't want to know that. They want to know what exactly it tells you about, you know, about this situation itself. And, uh, um, you know, what can you tell them about how do you personalize that? So I I draw inspiration, as a matter of fact, as a nerd from the statistics. But I'm very aware that behind each number, behind each average, behind each percentage, you know, each total, there is actual, you know, there are millions of human beings whose lives are really... You know, affected by it. So when you say you know the poverty rate has reduced, you know, to now it's whatever five percent. You know, um, and and you, and you look at that number, you know, five percent of the global population is a huge percent. It's a huge number of people, and their and their deprivation is it goes into various degrees. So you really want to understand. You know, you need to to have the empathy to put yourself in their shoes. And, uh, and see, you know, what deprivation will really create in your life uh, so that you can actually, you know, think of how to act and, and not only the empathy and put themselves in your shoes, but you want to talk to them to understand their experience really concretely so that you can actually support the improvements that need to happen, you know. So uh, I, I love this statistic. I'm a nerd. You know, what can I say?
0: Okay. Right. Fully accepted. Uh... <laughs> uh, and I recognize this to be honest a bit. Now, the way the how you describe what you're doing with UNESCO, so much passion, um, um, you could say that almost uh, assumes UNESCO or as a UNHC is quite a dynamic organization where you can make a difference and impact on a global level. At the same time, uh, I happen to know your predecessor, uh, more or less, uh, the late uh, Dr. Indrid Banerjee, who unfortunately passed away, uh, that he he realized he was making an impact, but sometimes he was also quite frustrated with how um, what the pace of change was. Um, so how do you de- how does UNESCO how do you personally deal with the fact that the digital transition we just talked about which needs uh, that governance uh, to make sure it it becomes uh, it remains public good? how do you balance that with Sometimes the the say the bureaucratic engine which a UN agency is.
1: Well, you know, you you put your finger on the <laughs> on a very painful, you know, uh, part of the uh, of yeah. the work. Bureaucracy is 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 the mind killer, indeed. You know, like, ah, uh, um, but um, but I, I understand the need for bureaucracy. I understand, you know, the UN is the is one of the most important entities in the world but it has nothing it has mm-hmm. no assets in in a way all it has is reputation you know it's a uh, you know companies they have uh, you know funds they have uh, you know capital assets they have you know uh, uh, things the un has reputation most of our buildings you know except for the very iconic ones are actually rented out you know uh, and and so on so we have people uh, and and we have reputation and reputation requires quite a lot of but you know protection and mm-hmm. uh, of course the protection goes into you know the different types of uh, of scrutiny and and uh, and analysis that bureaucracy gives so i understand that you know uh, um, i accept that that's the price we pay for the privilege of working for the un and um and i think that that's uh, um nowhere in the UN system or in UNESCO perhaps you see uh, the the big contrast so much because you know we we work on digital you know which is the fastest changing most fast-pacing yeah. kind of uh, environment uh, and technologies that you can find um but uh, but uh, the kind of, of uh, work we do you know, also has to understand the different contexts around the world you know so uh, many times you you know we we think of digital as the state of the art you know the new uh, chatbot that is coming out and of large language models to be able to do this and that but the reality is that where digital transformation is most needed is where in in countries where uh, you know, you don't have necessarily electricity yet, uh, you know, in all areas and uh, in remote parts of of uh, poorer countries that have not yet benefited from the ability to draw, you know, a socioeconomic value from digital transformation. And uh, so, you know, the kinds of things that sometimes you need to do and and their pace is slow. You know, sometimes we are actually way ahead or you know, you think of bureaucracy of the UN, but oh my God, you know, we're, we're actually moving faster, you okay. know, in comparison to this.
0: I, it's actually uh, interesting. Uh, you explained why it is as it is. And to what extent would it help also just by explaining why we have that speed? Uh, it, you, you take away part of the frustration and people can understand, look, this is the reason we're why it takes so long? Because we want everybody to catch up.
1: Absolutely, you know, uh, uh, you need the consensus. You know, yeah. the UN is uh, a club of nations. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the United Nations. Yeah. You know, and you need the consensus, and 193 member states of UNESCO arriving at consensus is a is a miracle. You know, the global yeah. global governance is a miracle of goodwill, and uh, you know, every day that I watch it happen, it's like wow so fantastic
0: yes hey uh, Marielza, it's fascinating here you talk about your work at unesco and what you're trying to achieve um a couple of last questions in the dying moments of this uh, discussion uh first of all what can a listener do to educate him or herself on what unesco is doing Is just surfing to the website or are, are there other things people can do
1: Oh, please, you know, first of all, first, surf to the website and uh, and, and uh, access uh, the, the documents we have, plenty of guidance, plenty of news, plenty of, uh, of uh, different types of publications that tell you a bit of, of what we are about, uh, what are the challenges that we are facing right now, but also participate in our events. We're always, you know, uh, uh, inviting people to participate in major, you know, inter-important conversations around the world. Um, and just one of those coming up in February for example, uh, um, pretty soon we'll have an, a conference called Internet for Trust
0: okay.
1: uh, and where we are going to be talking about how do we regulate internet platforms uh, so that information becomes truly a public good that uh, we eliminate or mitigate some of the harms that exist hate speech, you know disinformation, misinformation. But at the same time, preserve freedom of expression and access to information. So that's not about removing content, but removing, you know, uh, uh, creating the rules that enable expression to happen without the harms, you know, happening as well. So, uh, you know, participating in this kind of event, sending your inputs, contributing, engaging is is the best way, you know, and we hope to see everybody doing it.
0: Good advice. I'll make sure that we include the link to the the summit you mentioned, the Internet of Trust, uh, so people can have a look. And if they see it, listen to this afterwards, then look at the proceedings. Uh, Last question. Uh, You started at the beginning a little bit to explain your views on that. But uh, again, I want to come back. What is your advice to young people starting their own journey? Um, What would you want to give them?
1: Oh, my God, you know, uh, I, I would say that, uh, you know, young people, I, I, let me think about my daughters, you know, because uh, they're well not that young anymore, but uh, still, um, when I when I look at them, what I want them is to is to find a place where they can really be happy and uh, be happy and, and productive, you know, happy, satisfied member of society. So the advice that I give them is prepare yourself, understand what the challenges that the world has you know, uh, but then look at your community, look around you, and say, "What can I make? Where can I make a difference um, in my own community?" Because it starts there, and uh, and from there you grow. You know your your own um, you know possibilities of, of helping. You you find like minded people, and you create networks, and that's the power of uh, of connection. You know, so connect to to other people exploit and explore and enhance that connection capability. And that's, you know, you will be making a difference wherever you are, if you are able to do that.
0: Marielza, I want to thank you again for the interview. Very strong and solid advice to end this conversation with. Thank you and hope to meet again.
1: Thank you, you know, so much for having me and hope to meet you again many times. See you.